David. It's good to have you with us today. Uh, we've had a tremendous worship time, message, tongues, interpretation, the presence of God has been very, very real, great testimony about the healing of miraculous miracle healing of cancer. Tina shared that in service as well. And uh, as we go into the grocery stores nowadays, we see different things happening, but this particular sign in a grocery store is, is very unique. It's large print. It says uh, organic. Under that, it has in large print ground chicken, 59, excuse me, ground chicken, $5.49. In small print, it says this makes great turkey burgers. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about new normals, huh? Someone was heard me talking about that, and they said, man, that sounds like a foul joke. And so that's really bad, really bad. Luke chapter 20, we're going to look at the rhetoric of Jesus, the rhetoric of Jesus. And rhetoric is an effective, persuasive speech. He is uh, persuading and speaking to people and in the Greek, it's a speaker of action, of, of, of uh, persuasion. And we, we recognize the fact that it is a, a powerful declaration that Jesus makes throughout this entire chapter. I'm not going to do the whole chapter today, but I'm going to do a, a good portion of it. And the rhetoric, the, the distinct, persuasive speech of Jesus, wherever he spoke, the anointing of God was presently upon him in ears were turned to him because he spoke with one with authority. And uh, this is what's, what's being questioned is his authority. The rhetoric of Jesus is uh, very distinct. The chapter before 20, just at the end of it, it, it was the cleansing of the temple. And Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers and or den of thieves, some of your translations will say. And the concept is, is that they were selling things and, and charging exorbitant prices uh, uh, for those traveling in for sacrifices. They would sell sacrifices, and, and uh, it was just a sham. And uh, Jesus chased them out of the temple and, and had showed great authority. And so that sets us up for this next chapter uh, when Jesus is rebuffed. Uh, and, and the concept of rebuffed is criticized sharply. He's been rebuffed, rejected abruptly by the elders and the scribes. And I, I look at verse 1 of chapter 20 and the concept of being rebuffed. One day as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law together with the elders came up to him. Tell us what authority you are doing these things, they said. We, who gave you this authority? And so the, the teachers, the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they're very upset because Jesus is messing with their, with their, their theology, their, their thoughts and processes. And he replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from men? Jesus uh, is just 
really speaking about John the Baptist and the baptism concept. The baptism was a separation from the things of the world into the family of God. Baptism is being immersed in water and being brought up out of the water a new life in Jesus Christ. It's a symbolic activity of having Jesus in your heart. It's an outward sign of an inward work. And so he's asking, was John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? And so they begin to discuss it among themselves and in the discussion among themselves and said, uh, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? And so they, they are really being put on the coals here. But if we say from men, all the people will stone us. Because the people, goes on to say, because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. John truly was a prophet. And throughout the scriptures, he was the one who was the forerunner of Jesus, telling everyone, get ready, get ready, get ready. Jesus is coming, and he's greater than I, but I'm here to present uh, baptism to you. So they, they, they answered, we don't know where it's from. We don't know where that baptism is from. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. The whole thing was that they was wanting to trap him. They was wanting to get him to blaspheme that it was some power that he had. And, and he knew that his time was limited on this earth. And he gave them an opportunity to question him, but he also gave them the opportunity to uh, be put in their place, if you would. And it's, it's interesting to see just how powerful the gospel is, how powerful the message of the Lord is, and how that God works out all things for his glory. Asking Jesus the authority for his, his actions in the religions of authority. What was your religious authority? They was wanting to trap him. They was wanting to see a statement of blaspheme come out of his mouth. And he didn't do it. Because of the presence of God, the power of God is so much stronger than the demonic forces that were pushing against uh, Jesus. And it's, it's interesting to see how that we, uh, we must march into the kingdom and realize that even though there's rebuffing going on, Jesus was wiser than the enemy coming at him. God wants us to be as wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We, the name of Jesus rebukes demonic forces. As we've, if we sung this chorus this morning, the name of Jesus, the, the, the phrase Jesus just keeps coming to us, that it, it truly is part of the battle or, or the battle of the demonic is to speak the name of Jesus because Jesus is his name is powerful it's anointed it's God's son declared for us to proclaim Jesus verse 9 it's, it's an interesting take here on farming if you would and uh, in, in, in building vineyards and and Jesus has a tremendous message to teach in his rhetoric here. He went on to tell the people this parable, a very persuasive parable. 
A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants, so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. In other words, a payment of rent. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. Now, two strikes is pretty difficult for this landowner to accept the fact that I've sent two people out here and, and they're, they're coming back beat up. I need to do something about this. Goes on to say he sent still a third and they wounded him and threw him out. Pretty rough times for this landowner. <coughs> then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir. They say, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. These guys were in darkness. They, they, they would not pay the rent. They, matter of fact, were scheming to somehow take over the property. Wickedness, wickedness, wickedness. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill them. He will come and kill those, those tenants and give the vineyard to others. The owner will come and kill. When the people heard this, they said, may this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But to whom it will it falls, it will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the people because the people were convinced that Jesus was right on. And they were convinced that John was right on. And the leaders were afraid of being stoned to death. It's interesting because a very similar activity happens in the book of Isaiah. And uh, it's Isaiah chapter, chapter 5. And when we, we look at that, it's a song of the vineyard. And it's, it's a quite interesting event that takes place here in the sense that uh, it's very similar in the Old Testament prophetic realm. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it 
of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in it and out, excuse me, and ate out a, and cut out a vineyard as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now the dwellers in Jerusalem, the men of Judah, judged between me and my vineyard what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it. When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the gardens he delights. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. God's judgment uh, comes to Israel, and we see that that's the Old Testament song of the vineyard and how that that possibly was sung, and it was prophetic of what was going to happen uh, in Jerusalem. And, and then we have a similar story, but this is Jesus comparing, again, Jerusalem as being the one who's going to attack the greatest man on earth, Jesus. And he is pointing his hand right at those who are going to be persecuting him, those who are going to crucify him. And it's, it's interesting to see how that, how that he declares it with such great strength. And, and why is it, that there's three different times in this parable. Why is it that three different times, Second Peter chapter two and Second uh, Peter chapter three and verse nine, Second Peter three nine, it says, "The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's God's will that none should perish, but all might come to repentance." And Jesus is, is making that declaration here, and it's the parable that three different times, there's this time for these, these renters to, to own up and to share the fruits and, and pay their rent, and they refuse to do that. Matter of fact, they actually kill the one who's going to inherit it down the road, thinking they're going to get it. Uh, the evilness, how, devil, how the devil will take your mind and take you places you don't want to be. Cause you to do things you really don't want to do. But it's, it's the power of darkness. It's the power of demonic forces that moves on a people to do the wrong thing at the right time. To do the wrong thing at the right time. We need to do the right thing at the right time. Amen? We've got to press in and do the right thing at the right time. And, and the fact is, is that Jesus is long-suffering. He, he wants us. He, he wants us to come to him. It's his will that none should perish, but all might have eternal life. And it goes on to talk about this stone that the builders rejected and how that this stone was, 
was a, a very uh, unique thing in the sense that those who stumble over this great stone because they don't see Jesus and those who totally refuse to see him is the rejection of ownership here of, of him. The stones will fall and crush them. And the capstone is a very top stone on, on, the, on the building. And so he gives us that concept. And it's not the first time that he talks about a stone. There's other times in scripture that he talks about the stone. And the stone has a, a very good de- definition. Those who, who do not accept Jesus will be broken. Those who don't accept Jesus will be broken and they will fall under the judgment of God. And, and judgment will come to those who refuse Jesus. It's a stumbling block for those who don't want Jesus in their life. Jesus is a stumbling block. And so it's important that we recognize that, that there is a, a lost world out there that needs to hear about this Savior called Jesus. Our Jesus. Is the, they need to hear about it. And, and we are the ones to carry the gospel message. So God, give us the ability to go into the streets, go into the byways, and deliver the message of Jesus to people. And may we be as wise as serpents, harmless stuff. May God pour out his spirit upon us to be everything he's called us to be. It goes on to, to talk about the concept of rejection of God. And he does it through money. He goes on to, to, to they, they keep tricking him. They keep bringing things to him. Uh, in verse 20, it says, keeping a close watch on him. They sent spies who pretended to be honest. Okay. So the, the uh, chief priests and, and the scribes and the Pharisees, all these guys are, are backing off. So they pick out somebody that's, that's not a part of them to be uh, sent as spies, uh, to pretend to be honest. They hope to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the powers and authority of the governor. So the spies question him, teach Teacher, teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. See the lead there? And that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You teach the word of God in accordance with the truth. So here's all compliments to him. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And... Again, they're wanting to trip him up. He saw through their diplomacy, that uh, du- duplicity, which is not diplomacy. Duplicity, uh, duplicity actually means uh, deceitfulness. Duplicity is the deceitfulness, a doubting and uh, deceitfulness of, of, of heart. Show me a denarii who's portrait and subscriptions are on it caesar's they replied and he said to them then give to caesar what is caesar and to god what is god's they were unable to trap him in what he had said in a public and astonished by his answers they became silent jesus knows how to deal with people who reject God. Rejection of God is a methodical thing. 
It starts with not messing with your devotions. I don't want to mess with devotions today. I, I don't, I'm too busy. Then it goes with, well, I, you know, I really need to do something. I either go to church. And then, you know, that gospel music just kind of irritates me. Let's listen to something different. And then you begin to take on the things of the world, the dark side. And when you begin to entertain those thoughts, you see the word entertainment, the very begin says into. Whatever your entertainment is, you're taking it into your spirit, into your body, into your mind. And so it's, it's really important that we recognize that, that uh, taxes belong to the government. And it's important that we stand up for our spiritual rights. If the government is asking us to do something illegal, immoral, we need to do everything we can in our power that is uh, available to us to get things right. But at the same time, we have to give respect to those in authority over us and pray for them. And it, it is a process of, of watching what we do. Jesus was very, very wise in how he answered all of these accusations against him. His rhetoric was unbelievable. Very, very smart, very wise, very, very true to the power of God. And we must recognize the fact that we have all of the word of God in our lives. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have the fellowship of the saints in our lives. And in rejecting Jesus, they rejected the full kingdom of God. I don't want to reject Jesus. I don't want to reject my Heavenly Father. I don't want to reject the power of the Holy Spirit. And we must energize ourselves into pushing in and getting more of the anointing of God, more of the Word of God in our spirit, more of the presence of God in our life. And as we put Jesus in our heart and in our life, in our job site, in our car, as we put him in our house, as we put him in the gymnasium at school, as we put him in, in every parcel and part of our life, there will be peace and there will be contentment. And that's what the world is looking for, peace and contentment. It's so vital that we allow Jesus to be Jesus. Amen? It's so vital that we allow Jesus to be Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we realize that your son Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life and spoke directly to the hearts of those who were walking away from God. Even though they had religious titles, they were rejecting God and rejecting the son Jesus. And there would be a penalty for that. And so, God, may we have a spirit of bereavement, a sorrow that moves us to compassion, that moves us to reach out and touch people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to reach out and know that our Jesus is much, much greater than the darkness that's in this world. And our Jesus can set people free and bring healing to their inner hearts. And today, Lord, I pray for healing of the inner heart for those listening at home and, and those who may listen later and those in this service today. God, that you would bring healing deep to the inner heart. 
the emotional state of mind. God, I pray for divine healing and impartment of the Holy Spirit. To, for the Holy Spirit to be imparted. That the enabling power of the Holy Spirit would move mightily into the hearts of people who hear this message. That they might see Jesus and know that he is the author and finisher of our faith. And we need him in our lives every day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into our hearts. And may we always seek your face in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for viewing with us today. And we're going to continue the altar service here. And we just ask that you would seek Jesus and know that if you uh, listen to that prayer of saying, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, you do that and he will come in. And then you make the word of God number one in your life and you will grow in Christ as you find fellowship with him and other Christians. God bless you. Have a great day.